Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Titus chapter 3, we're only going to really look at one verse, and really, today's message I've preached over the last two weeks, so who knows what God is going to really do, but um, nothing's going to be really new, but I hope that you've been able to gather a lot of information and a lot of understanding in the last couple of weeks as to what God is saying to us as a church. Um, one of the difficulties, obviously, in this season is that I can't communicate this to the entire church, so... Um, God always uses a remnant, so maybe he's looking for a remnant in actually New Spring to actually carry forward some things. Um, so I'm okay with that. Well, this series been, has been birthed out of one question, which I have brought to our attention every single week. And the question is simply this, what if God pressed play? What would that look like if God actually pressed play this year, 2020, and actually looked at a church like New Spring and said, you know what, I reckon it's just about time and I'm going to press play. And in talking about that question, we are considering this concept of renewal. What is renewal? How would that look like? Renewal is the refreshment, the release and advancement that individuals, groups, churches and cultures experience when they realign with God's presence. Another definition, which I particularly really, really like, is the resumption of our God-given purpose to partner with God fully participating in his plan to flood the world with his presence. That's an amazing picture, isn't it? That God wants to flood the earth with his presence. I mean, would you like to be part of that plan? I mean, forget about the world, forget about the earth. Would you like your life to be flooded with the presence of God? I mean, personally, I'd like that. That would be fantastic. Jeremiah, um, actually what we were saying is that renewal is the resumption or resuming something that has previously been interrupted. And throughout church history, throughout the history of God and his relationship with humanity, there seems to be moments where God has pressed play, but also times where he does press pause. And he seems to actually go through pressing pause, pressing play, pressing pause, pressing play. And when we talk about renewals, revivals, awakenings, all these things, what we're really talking about is for some reason God has decided to press play on his script of salvation history and allow that to move forward again. And we were saying that revival is when renewal kind of goes viral. You know, it's one thing for renewal to happen in Dave's heart or in Katie's heart or in Luke's heart. But you know what? When renewal starts to happen in everyone's heart in New Spring Church, and if that kind of overflows to, say, Kalamunda up the road, and then it goes to, like, Champion Lakes, and it goes to... Could you imagine if all of the churches actually had a renewal happening? Well, when new, renewal goes viral, that we're talking about revival. And isn't that kind of what we're always praying for? God, bring revival bring revival. And God's possibly saying, yeah, I want to bring revival, but it's going to start first and foremost with some renewal in your own heart, in your mind. Jeremiah 6 verse 16 says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want to take. And there's something that seems to be quite interesting about the Lord is that he seems to be pretty um, happy with using his own paths, his ancient paths. I think it's funny. I live in the church world and um, I 
regularly catch up with pastors all over the state. And um, there seems to be this thought, you know, there's kind of this silver bullet which everyone is looking for when it comes to churches, when it comes to growing churches. And I'm not sure that God's interested in actually providing a silver bullet. In fact, I'm pretty sure that he is actually saying to his church, even today, this is the option that you have. You're at a crossroads, look to the ancient paths, and this is your choice. You either say, yep, we want that, or like the people in Jeremiah say, no, we don't want that path. And I think wisdom would actually say, if this is the way, if these are the paths that God always uses to actually bring about refreshing, rest, renewal for the soul, well, maybe we should actually pay attention to the ancient past. You know what I'm saying? It seems absurd to me that if I actually ever, I mean, if I ever, I might want to one day. You know what? If I ever want to go like, and get buff, you know, I'm sure Andrew might enjoy it. Like, it'd be, be good. But, but it, would seem, it would be kind of absurd. Like if I, you know, if I want to do that, like, you know what? You know, this is how I'm going to do it. I might just go to like, I don't want to go to the gym. Brett, gym, that's Brett. Brett's a gym guy. Um, you know, like, so sport, that's a Jess thing. But, you know, I want to get to this destination via a different route, you know. I reckon drive through Maccas might actually get me down there. You know what I'm saying? Now, it would be absurd, wouldn't it? It would be absolutely absurd for me to say, okay, you know what, this is the point which I want to get to, and I believe, you know what, I believe I can get there and I should do it. But, you know, everyone else is going this way, I want to go this way. And yet the Lord says, if you want renewal in your heart, if you want renewal in your family, if you want God to do something new, it's actually the ancient path, it's not a silver bullet. It's the ancient pathways. That is what he is saying. Renewal is the resumption of something that has already started. That's so good to know. It is so good to know that this entire narrative, this entire story is completely reliant on God and his faithfulness and not on me. You guys should be really happy that the success and the flourishing of New Spring Church is dependent on him and not a bald-headed, middle-aged guy called Dave Ryder. That should make you really happy. You know, I thank you, Lord, for Dave, but I'm sure glad that this whole thing does not rest on him. Amen. Amen? But we need to understand that there is already a story that's in play. Book of Genesis actually reveals to us the place where it starts, where God actually goes, okay, I'm going to press play. All right? We've um, used this quote every single week, and again, I'm using this in repetition for us to actually get understanding. Richard Belcher said, of Genesis, he summarizes it like this, saying that Genesis shows that Israel's God is the sovereign creator whose purpose to establish his covenantal rule will not be hindered by the sinfulness of humanity. So if you think you're a dirty, rotten sinner right now, guess what? Your sin is not big enough to stop God. I'm sorry. Some people honestly think they're bigger than God. Like, I'll never rock into the church. Or, are you kidding me? Since when is you, are you and your sin too big for God? Get out of town. You think, get out of here. You're, seriously, as far as the sinning has got, you're not that good. <laughs> anyway. But this, this actually shows from the book of Genesis that God has a plan. He's always had a plan, and right now he's still continuing his plan, that he would actually establish his covenantal rule, his reign. In the words of Jesus, the kingdom of God is near. That kind of paradigm. He would establish his rule, his reign, his kingdom, but in a very peculiar way, he would actually look upon his covenantal people and say, I'm going to actually bring about my reign and rule through your life. And that affords us an incredible opportunity. 
Incredible opportunity. I honestly think that if Christians had our mind more on this, we would put away our little pettiness and all our little squirrels and all these little things that we have. We would honestly be saying, you know, all that stuff that is so minimal in light of what God's invited me to be part of. We should be like that missionary, like Francis Xavier. He was a missionary to, to India and China. And he actually said to a bunch of students, said, put away your small ambitions, come east and preach the gospel. We should actually be saying to young adults, to youth people, to people all around us, you say, you know what? You just need to put away your small ambitions, put away your little pettiness, come to the southeast region, which is the city of Armadale, city of Gosnells, and let's preach the gospel. Put away the small things. Because God has designed and He's determined that He is going to break His kingdom into this world by you and me. So this is God's story, what He's doing. And with this in mind, we were looking at this leadership book, and it's been really cool because um, people haven't necessarily realized that this is a leadership book. So like Mitchell said, I didn't realize it's a leadership book, but there you go. It's a leadership book. A leadership book which is found in the New Testament. And unlike all the great leadership books which are now in the bookstores or in Amazon and all that, this only has three chapters. <laughs> and you can read it in like 15 minutes as opposed to these like really thick. It's the book of Titus. It's the book of Titus. It is a um, book of wisdom that the Apostle Paul actually gives to a young apprentice whose name is Titus. And I think it's a, great, um, it's a great book, it's great instruction for anyone who aspires to any form of leadership, Christian leadership, that is, to understand what Christian leadership is and the process by which you can actually be invited and be part of what God is doing to bring about radical transformation in this world. And again... If God is actually setting some things in place and says, this is the pattern, it seems absurd to try and go another route when God says, okay, why don't you do this? Yeah. So we've been looking at this chapter by chapter. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we started in chapter one. So week one was all about establishing leadership. And if you missed it, the podcast is up. Last week, we talked about discipleship. And this week, we're going to be talking about service. Did you get that? Christian leadership, established leadership, second thing, discipleship, third thing, now go change the world. The problem we have is that we love leadership. We all want to be these yeah, great leaders, and we seem to bypass discipleship because we just want to go from leadership to changing the world, you know, and just doesn't work that way. So the verse which we're going to look at is verse 14, but I'm going to read Titus 3, verse 13 to 14, and I'm going to read from the NIV. So do everything you can to help Zenus. Imagine that, being called Zenus. I'm going to name my kid Zenus. I might name my dog Zenus. No, anyway, <laughs> I need to be more focused. <laughs> do everything you can to help Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on the way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to do what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. That's a great verse. Verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. I think first and foremost, we can actually see that this idea of service is directly linked to discipleship. Why else would Paul say to Titus that our people must learn? I mean, if this came automatically, you wouldn't have to learn, would you? You know, our children have to learn how to tidy their room because it's pretty natural for them to make a mess. <laughs> Any other kids like that? Yep. Any adults like that? <laughs> service 
evidently does not come naturally or automatically. Have you ever discovered that in your life that, you know, like this little thing over here, like provide for urgent needs, do good and all that. Sometimes it just does not come automatically to us, does it? No, because if we're talking about service in the world, it is actually directly linked to discipleship because we need to learn. Need to learn. And it's an outworking of this discipleship. And again, what we were saying last week is that discipleship is actually an invitation to partner with God in establishing his covenantal rule here on earth as it is in heaven. One of our early church fathers, his name was Irenaeus, he said the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Think about that. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Now think about people, right? People in your life, people you see in the streets, in the shopping centres, people who you watch and observe on stupid reality TV. Um, <laughs> I heard something really, really, um, really, really sad. One of our church attenders who is like really rather old, loves watching Married at First Sight. <laughs> I heard that yesterday. Like, I need to pray for you. <laughs> but even in that context... I would actually make the assessment that the plight of humanity is that every person is trying to find out what it means to be truly alive. Wouldn't it be? Isn't that what we see? Even if you're like like watching something as dumb as Married at First Sight, you know, it's like, why would you do that? I don't know, but there's something about it. Just People are just naturally doing that. We're trying to do that. And you know what? We even try to articulate this pursuit that we all have. We like use language and colloquialisms like this. You know what? I'm just trying to find myself. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm just trying to find myself? Well, really, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know? Or he looked like a shadow or a shell of himself. We use that all the time, don't we? Or I just want to feel fully alive. We use these words to try and articulate a pursuit that we have. And what we're actually suggesting is that we're actually in a place where we're not really fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. I mean, there's a lot of profound truth in that. I mean, if, I wonder if you've ever experienced something like this. I oh, know I have. Have you ever been in a place where you actually feel numb? Have you ever felt that? I've been in places where I feel numb. And even as being a pastor for so many years, Claire's feeling a little bit embarrassed at the moment. I've got young kids. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? Those on the podcast, we have kids running around, in case you're wondering. Anyway. <laughs> but there's this idea of being numb to the world. Um, I've been a pastor for about 20 years, and I've discovered and sat with people, and there are a lot of things that people try in order to actually try to feel alive and get rid of this numbing feeling. Mm-hmm. Have you ever met someone who's an adrenaline junkie? Yep. You know, you do something just right on the edge, because you know why? Ultimately, because that's when you feel alive. It's like the numbing goes, so you feel alive right then. And what happens, you become addicted to that instead of actually pursuing the right thing to actually make you fully alive all the time. This is what happens. It does. Oh, perpetual drama. Some people just love drama, just go over and over. People do that because they feel alive, because there's this numbingness that happens. You know, people, I've seen people all the time, they jump from one relationship to the other. Do you remember the first time, if you're like a husband or wife, do you remember the first time you held hands? I remember the first time I held hands with Andrea. You know, it was like, oh, man, it was like electricity, you know, like electricity. You know, like if I hold Mitchell's hand, nothing, nothing there, absolutely nothing. But I remember the first time we held hands. But you know what? 
You know what? We were, the first time we held hands, you know what? After about a month, it was like there was no electricity anymore. You know? And what happens with people is that the initial thrill is so intoxicating, but once you actually step into the rhythm of normality, they kind of jump from that relationship and go to another one because they want to get the hit because there's a numbness. That's the reason why. That's exactly the reason why. Drugs, alcohol, all of these things do it. You know, there are so many things that you and I use to actually counter numbness that creeps in. And you know what? Many, 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 many times, get this, many, many, many times, people use good things just in wrong ways. Isn't that true? Good things in wrong ways. And personally, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand and recognize that we will get to those places. You know what? We might be numb right now. Like, Dave, I'm so numb. Um, that, that's part of the plot of, of being human, and we can move out of it. But we need to understand that when people find their place, and, and you see this kind of stuff, we can have great compassion for people and actually help them move out of it because the glory of God is a human being who is fully alive all the time. And we have people who are in a hot pursuit of being fully alive, and they're trying this, and they're trying this, and they're trying this, and trying this. And guess what? It's not working. And we have the great privilege of walking hand in hand with people to actually get them to the thing. And the reason why we get this numbness is because we all experience the same pressures in life. I was just looking at um, some things this weekend. Um, I came across five pressures of this current generation. I actually think it would be a great series um, for a Sunday night. But five pressures um, that this generation fears, uh, experiences. First, first pressure is this, searching for identity. The question of who am I? Really? <laughs> to be honest, like churches love that identity question. We like to pop, put, we could pull out all these scriptures because we've got all these years. Oh, yeah, your identity is this. And you know what, Jesus? I was saying to the young adults, like, you know what, Jesus? You know what? The, he, he heard the Father's voice, and before he did anything, he heard he was a son. And like, wait a minute, like, that's all good, but let's actually get like, for real, for real? Like, who are you, like, really? Let's go get a bit deeper, right? I reckon it'd be a pretty good week if we could do that. What about fighting anxiety? Do you know how anxiety has just crippled and paralyzed the world right now? It is just a crippling, paralyzing thing at the moment. And the reason why anxiety is so far up is because we have so many choices and there's so much freedom. I, I experience it like with our children. Like Netflix is a great thing, you know? But there's so much choice, they are over there and they don't know what to do. They're paralyzed. You know what? Right now, media, it's like Netflix for Christians. You guys are like, what do I do? I think it's in Germany. It's like three streams of education. So could you imagine, instead of having the hundreds of streams that our students have, if they were living in a place like that, then you have to pick three. There's a lot less anxiety. But anxiety is something that is crippling this generation. You know, it's a pressure. What about loneliness? Am I loved? Am I truly loved? You can be in a family, you can be married, and you can still be lonely. Just because you have proximity to, to someone, just because you're sharing like your bed with someone, does not mean that you are known or you feel known. You can still be lonely. That's a big pressure that this generation has. Um, how do you harness ambition? You know, what is my purpose? You know, ambition. How do you harness that? That's a big pressure. And what about this, feeling entitled? I think that's a great one because especially with our younger generations, how many times do we say, and I say it as well, by the way, how many times do we say, you know what, they just feel so entitled? And the question there is, 
for a young person to understand and recognize the idea of entitlement, the question they're really asking, is there anything in this world that is bigger than me? Because if my entire world, if I'm the biggest thing, the biggest person in my world, I'm going to feel entitled for sure. But if there is something bigger, if there is anything that is beyond me, well, that's going to be a great antidote for entitlement. Anyway, they just fight. That would be a great series, I reckon. We might do that one day. Cassie, you reckon it'll be a good series? All right, let's do that. And the existence of these pressures leave people feeling somewhat less than human. And then we come into the church setting. And sometimes we will say things, you know what, what you do isn't who you are. And I'm not entirely sure Scripture backs up that notion. Because we are made in the image of God. I love what John Mark Homer puts out when he talks about the opening and ending paragraphs of the Bible. He says, And in between the opening line and the closing paragraph of the Bible, the narrative is filled with metaphor after metaphor of who God is and what God is like. God is an artist. He's a designer. He's a creative. He's an engineer. He's a builder. He's an ecologist. He's a zoologist. He's an expert in horticulture. He's a musician. He's a poet. He's a king. He's a shepherd. But above all, he's a worker and a vigorous one at that. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. You see, what we do is pretty important. Part of who we are. Precisely because we are made in the image of God. And what we do in this world is supposed to image our God. And it's supposed to bear witness to this world of who our God is. And is part and parcel with discipleship that discipleship demonstrates a certain kind of living. We kicked this off last week from Titus 2.1, if you remember. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. And in this verse that we just said, this kind of living is a kind of living that we have to learn to devote ourselves to devote to, be, to d- devote ourselves to do what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. Well, it says that we need to live in such a way that we do good, that we provide for others, and that our life is not unproductive. So what I'm basically doing, going in a roundabout way, I am making a case that if the glory of God is a human being fully alive, then being fully alive is directly connected to how we live in this world. In other words, service. If you want to be more human, then serve. If you want to feel more alive, then serve. If you want to put an end to that numbness that's in your mind and in your soul, allow service to thaw your soul out. It will do it. That is the case I'm making. So in light of that, I want to ask one question, which is a very simple question, but it might actually shape how we live in this world. And the question is very simple. It's this, what are we serving? I'm not asking if you're serving. I want to ask you a question, what exactly are you serving? We've got a bunch of people here and they do 12 buckets on a Monday. Oh, no, it's a Tuesday now. Last year was a Monday and this year's a Tuesday. So you know what? Like, Jess goes and she does mentoring over there. Like, like what exactly is she serving? She goes once a week to hang out with a kid. Is that, is, is, is that what she's serving? Hampers, here's some food. Is that what we're serving? Bops, oh, you know what? We'll look after your kid for a while. Teaching, here's some information. Worship team, here's a song. 
service team, oh, you know, let me open the door for you. Is that actually what we're serving? You know, when I go to a restaurant, a waiter approaches the table and um, the waiter knows exactly what they're serving. They come up to me and they say, here's your entree or here's your main, here's your dessert. They know exactly precisely what they are serving. Now, if I was sitting in a place, not a restaurant, but let's just say, if I was sitting in a place like, let me think, the world, (laughs) right? And a Christian approached me. Now, would that Christian know precisely exactly what they were serving? That's what I'm getting at. Because I go to a restaurant and the waiter knows exactly what they're serving. We went to a place last night. They knew exactly what they were serving me. Over an hour late. <laughs> they were serving me bad service. <laughs> but, but, but you know what I mean? Like, like, like a, a waiter knows. I'm, this is your meal. This is entree. If I'm sitting in the world and a Christian comes up to me, does that Christian know what they're serving? That's a great question, I think. You know, like Christian comes up, say, you know, oh, here's some food. Um, there's some music for you. Oh, here, have a seat. You know, oh, let, let, let's have a chat. Um, now, it may look a little bit like that, but if that's what you think you're serving, let me tell you, you're not serving. That's not what we're serving. We need to actually know what we're serving. In every small and every large gesture that you and I serve in this world, that, that we make, we are serving this world something that they cannot receive from just anyone. A couple of years ago, I've only had one operation, all right? And it was on my wrist. But because I did an operation on my wrist, it was only a day surgery. But that's the only time I've had an operation, all right? It's the only time I've really done anything. But, but I, I, I know that I, well, in order for them to do surgery on my wrist, they needed to knock me out, right? So I was in this room, and like I'm lying there, and there are all these people in the room, right? There's like doctors and there's nurses and, and all that. And, 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 and they needed to administer something. They needed to administer something, all right? They needed to administer something that would actually knock me out. I don't know what the medical word for that is. Anesthetize. There we go. You guys are a little smarter than me. Now, in that room, I needed to be knocked out. In order to be knocked out, I needed someone to administer some kind of medication. Out of all those people in that room, there was only one person who could administer their medication. And what was that person called? Anesthetist. I just want to make sure I said it right. (laughs) Out of everyone in that room, there was only one person. There were a lot of people there, but there was only one person who could administer that, the anesthetist. In this world... Not everyone can administer God's covenantal rule on this earth. There are only certain people who are authorized to administer Jesus' kingdom reign, Jesus' covenantal rule, this kind of thing where God's presence literally comes and flood a place, and those people are called Christians. We are the only ones... In the room, it's a big room, it's called a planet. But we're the only ones who can do it. What are you serving? Seriously, are you just going to serve some food? No. 
We are the only ones. We are the only ones. We are the administrators of God's covenantal rule, that being the kingdom of God. Do you mean to tell me that as Jules and her team are out doing street chaplaincy, that she's just walking around, just want to have a chat with someone? Do you honestly think that in her mind she's thinking, oh, you know what, I'm just like showing someone a bit of love and all that? Not a chance. Have you ever met Jules? She's a feisty woman. She is. She knows what she's doing. She knows with every conversation, with every token of love, with every gesture that she does, with every word that she is using, she is administrating the kingdom of God into this world. What are you serving, Jules? I'm serving the kingdom. But you need to know exactly precisely what you're serving. And how in the world are you going to know exactly precisely what you're serving unless you actually sit down and actually learn and go through the process of discipleship? We've got a bunch of Christians rocking up and down, standing on their soapboxes, like yelling at people and being all tribal and all that because they don't know what they're serving. There's only a few. Not everyone is authorized to be an administrator of God's covenantal rule. But we are. Isn't that good? Lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Go feed the poor. Look after the widow, the vulnerable. Make sure you don't become such a big one that you don't look after the little ones. What are we doing when we do all this? We are called Christians. And we are administrating God's covenantal rule here on earth. So what is the dynamic of Christian leadership? We spent three weeks in this. And um, like I said, it's a bit of a skeleton thing. But if you have the time and if you have the discernment to actually sit down and flesh it out, you will actually be able to see that Titus 1, Titus 2, Titus 3 actually give us a pretty good plan of how we are to live as Christian leaders in this world. Titus 1, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about establishing leadership. What does established leadership mean? It means I'm building upon something that was started by another person. That completely changes the way I view something. I use the example, you know, if I was a great carpenter and I was making an amazing dining table like what Luke and Shaley have in their house, and it took me 20 years to actually just painstakingly do that and I still hadn't finished and someone else took over from that, they would not take a chainsaw and take, have a big hack at it, right? This church here has been going for over 50 years. So when Dave and Andrew come on the scene, and for a moment, just for a mere moment, God says, okay, you take the reins and you lead this church. There's 50 years of building. I'm not going to take it like a, like a saw and hack away. I'm building on something that's been built, by, established by other people, you know? Established leadership. I need to stay true to my purpose. Titus 1, verse 1 to 2. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. You know what? If I'm a leader in this place, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to try to the nth degree. I'm going to pour every part of my life so that this church knows the truth so that we can live godly lives. That's the purpose of leadership. Now, if you call yourself a Christian leader, you're not doing that. You ain't a Christian leader. You know what I'm saying? 
Sorry, that's just the way it is. Titus 2 was about discipleship. We talked about that last week. We said that teaching and living are just connected. A disciple is not what I do. This is the problem. This is the problem. We take Christianity and say, you know, in order to be a good Christian, I need to tick this, I need to tick this, I need to tick this, I need to tick this. And it's not about ticking this because you can tick all the great things and still like not have your heart completely devoted to the Lord. No. Discipleship's who I am, godly living. This is who I am. This is what I do. I know who I am in God's story. Um, it's... And we were saying that discipleship is this invitation to join God in his covenantal rule. And this week we talked about service. And the big question as we finish off this series, the band can come up because I'm done. The one question for this week, out of all that stuff which I've said, some of you guys might be thinking, Dave, you're just long-winded. Why didn't you just say that in the first place? (laughs) What are we serving? What are we serving? Wherever you serve, what are you serving? Because it may look like something, and other people may actually see, oh, you're giving me a hamper of food. That's cool. Or they may see, oh, you know what? Cassie's Satan, she's nice and she's friendly. She's having a conversation with me. That's cool. Luke and Shaley lead an incredible business. They're serving me the best coffee in town. <laughs> And Luke says, Amen. <laughs> it might look like that. I remember um, I got the fright of my life when Luke actually rocked up in the car park. I was thinking to myself, no one served this guy coffee. <laughs> and that rule still applies. <laughs> but I remember like going to the roastery and like going up there and like going like Luke serving me. He remembers my name firstly. And I thought to myself, this guy, he must be a Christian. They serve great coffee and other people may perceive that, but you know what? They're not actually serving coffee. They're administrators of God's covenantal rule in Canningbar. That's what the Lord has entrusted to their care. For six and a half years, Donna was here, cut and sick, being Donna. And now she's working with another organization but she's serving exactly, you're serving exactly the same thing, aren't you? Exactly the same thing. Colin and Sue were here and they brought our seniors together. For some reason, they decided to leave me. I still have not forgiven them. Did you swear? <laughs> they are serving exactly the same thing in Bridgetown as to what they were serving here. Isn't that right? Exactly the same thing. We are administrators of the kingdom of God. Because from the very beginning, God said, this is how I want this to work. I will establish my covenantal rule here on earth by inviting my covenantal children to join me and to partner with me and to fill this world with my glory and with my presence. So it really doesn't matter what you put your hand to. The most important thing is to understand exactly, precisely what you're serving. Because it may look like food, 
but this food is going to radically transform your entire existence. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great, great, great gospel. Who are you that you would look upon us and invite us into your grand narrative? Father, I pray that as we've come to the end of this series, as our ears have been opened to hear your word, that there will be truth that we take from here and that they would be germinating in our heart. I ask that as we go to our different places of influence, whether that be a school setting or in a workplace setting, in a family setting, whether that be in Perth or even abroad, I ask that what you've entrusted into our care and seed form, that it will grow, that it will mature, Lord. Father, I ask that you will come and that you would do something remarkable this year in New Spring Church, that you would bring alignment to our heart and to our lives, that you would press play again, O Holy One, that you will come and that you would just realign us with your presence. I pray that our delight would be Jesus and Jesus alone. We ask these things in Jesus' name.